invite you to turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 to 8. Mark, the second gospel in the New Testament. Chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. The story picks up where Jesus has gone from being immobilized and fixed to the cross, breathing his last, and then being buried in the tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man. And so we pick up our reading. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thus ends the gospel according to Mark. And of course, this is how the gospel should end, right? This is how the Easter story should end. The women go to the tomb. They see that it's empty. They hear news from an angelic being telling them that he's not here, he's risen. And then they leave, and then they say nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's how it should end, right? Wait. Where are the appearances? Where, where is Jesus confronting his disciples locked inside of a room, scared to death? Where is Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene and telling her, Mary, I'm here. Where is all that? They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid? Well, that's not satisfying. That's not the last word we want to hear before we go enjoy Easter dinner. What is there to celebrate in that? So many loose ends. So many questions raised. What do we do with this? 
Well, clearly, we're not the first ones to react that way. And you can see this in your Bible. If you're reading a modern translation, such as the NIV, the ESV, the NRSV, you're going to see some words saying something like the earliest manuscripts and some ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. And usually there's a bar to separate this. And you look down and you see words that maybe are put in brackets, maybe are italicized. Say, what's up with that? Well, it seems that some later Christians, some later scribes, weren't very satisfied with this ending either, and so they chose to kind of splice together a version at the end of Matthew with a version at the end of, of Luke and, and kind of close up these, these loose ends, tie them up neatly. But those verses are not in our earliest manuscripts of Mark. And when the King James Bible was being translated, they didn't know that. They translated what they had. We can also tell this is probably not original because some of the words here, some of the vocabulary, some of the style just doesn't fit Mark. Some have said, okay, well, maybe the ending of Mark was lost. Maybe he, he really had more, but he got interrupted or somehow that page of the manuscript just got lost to history. That's possible. It's possible. He does end it in a very, very unusual and even enigmatic way. It's puzzling. What? What are we to do with this? But the reality is, this is what God has given to us. We might want more. We might ask for more. But what we believe is that God has given us the Bible that he wants for us to have. And if God wants Mark to end chapter 16 at verse 8, so be it. Who are we to quibble with that? So today, it behooves us to ask, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? If it ends with, they were afraid, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid, what do we do with that? Here's what we do with that. We see it for what it is, and it's this. It's a deliberately provocative ending. It's not meant to tie up all the loose ends. It's not meant to provide a neatly packaged ending where all of our questions are answered. It's meant to stir you and me. It's meant to prompt us to ask questions and say, what are we to do with this? All on purpose. It's not satisfactory, no. But, in at least one sense, it's a fitting word for us today. Because this is exactly where we are today. No one here and no one alive in this world today has seen the risen Jesus. No one. The appearances that are recorded in the New Testament are utterly unique. While we can know Jesus, we believe, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
working in us and through us. No one has seen Jesus bodily, at least not here and now. What we do have is the witness to an empty tomb, and we have the proclamation that Jesus is alive. That tomb is empty because Jesus is living. And we do have the implication of, what are you going to do with that? So you haven't seen the risen Jesus. Is that going to keep you from being an Easter person and celebrating Easter? Well, for some people, it probably will. No, I need to see him. But this isn't, that's not what we have. That's not where we are. This is a fitting word for us because this is exactly what we have. We don't have the appearances in our own experience. What we have is a deliberately provocative ending. And here's why that's good news. Those who are provoked in their hearts, in their minds, by the reality of the empty tomb, by the proclamation that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is reigning, those and only those can know real and lasting peace. Do you need more peace in your life? In the midst of 2021, which seems to have just as many problems as 2020, in the midst of an ongoing pandemic, in the midst of whatever turmoil you may have going on in your personal life, do you need more peace? I do. I do. And the good news, the good news today is that the Easter story only brings lasting peace to those whose lives have been provoked to the point that they can see no other hope in this world apart from Jesus. And not just Jesus as a figure on a stained glass window. Not just Jesus as a character in a book. Not just Jesus as a figure in history. But Jesus, crucified, risen, and one glorious day returning. If you have been provoked to the point that you realize there is no other hope in this world for you or for me or for anyone apart from Jesus crucified, risen, and returning, well, then you're ready for real and lasting peace starting today. But you've got to be provoked. It may not be comfortable. It may not soothe your conscience. It may not give you warm and fuzzy feelings. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And it is powerful. And we don't need to be ashamed of it. So let's look at these women once again to see what is so provocative about this. And to know that now it's your turn and it's my turn to be provoked by this story. To be stirred, to be moved by this story. Not just to say, happily ever after, let's go have Easter dinner. But to come face to face with it. To deal honestly with it. To bring our burdens, to bring our questions. 
to it and to hear from God through it. So the women go to the tomb. The same women who had just witnessed exactly where Jesus had been buried. We're told that they bought spices. It's now past the Sabbath, so they can do business. They can buy spices so that they can go anoint Jesus' body. Why would they want to do that? Well, for the smell. And it was the tradition then to try to preserve the body as long as possible. And wealthy tombs such as Jesus was placed in were not intended to be sealed forever like our graves typically are. They were intended to be used. Multiple family members would have been buried in these tombs. And yes, there's a heavy stone, but that stone can be moved given the right tools, given enough strength. It can be moved. It's not impossible. It's just that the women don't have those tools with them. And maybe they don't have that strength available to them. So they go, they know what they want to do. They want to anoint Jesus' body. They want to perform an act of loving kindness for Jesus and his family. But they realize, who will roll the stone away from us? But they don't question that. They don't let that stop them. They don't let that obstacle get in the way. They continue to go. Maybe thinking, well, eventually someone will come. Someone can help us. But we're going to go now. We're going to go now, and we're not going to let this obstacle get in the way. But they think the biggest obstacle is the stone. What are we going to do about the stone? What they cannot even imagine is that they'll show up at this tomb, and not only will the stone be rolled away, but the body of Jesus will be missing. And not only that, but an angel of God is there to tell them what's happening. This all confounds their expectations, doesn't it? And so, if we're to be provoked, the women were provoked, they're stunned, they're alarmed, they're fearful. What is this? What do we do with this? Now, it's your turn, and it's my turn to be provoked by the truth that God shatters our expectations. God shatters our expectations. We think we know what's possible in the world, don't we? After all, we're sophisticated, educated 21st century people. We know about science. We know how the world works. We've got an answer, and if, and if we don't have an answer yet, we know science will eventually give us one. And to the extent that we operate out of that worldview, as though this universe is a closed system and, and there's a theory or a rule that can explain everything, that can explain human behavior, and we can explain human behavior by neurotransmitters, and we can explain the world that we live in by scientific processes, well, there's nothing that I can say to you today to convince you that Jesus is alive, if that's your worldview. Because dead people don't come back to life. Dead people don't come back to life. If that's how you view the world, if that's how you're operating, there's nothing I can say to you to convince you. I can point you to the empty tomb. 
I can point you to the testimony of those who are willing to die for this testimony, who said that they saw Jesus and they died a martyr's death, still saying that. I can point you to all that, but you'll never be convinced if you don't believe God can break into this world to do miracles, to perform mighty acts that cannot be explained by any human wisdom. And even if just for today, I invite you to open yourself up to that possibility that maybe there's more to you, maybe there's more to life, maybe there's more to this world than you can hear, smell, see, taste, or touch. Just open yourself up to that, just for a moment. Just, just grant me that today. And if you will, then this vista, this beautiful view of what God is doing in the world and what he can do in your life will become available to you. And this whole architecture of belief opens up to you. This whole way of life is available to you. But it starts by acknowledging there's more to life then you can sense. And if you'll grant that, then be provoked by how God shatters our expectations. But as we get older in life, we tend to think we know how the world works. We know what's possible. We know what's impossible. Right? No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. The God who can empty this tomb, is a God who can do the impossible. Do you believe that? Are you open to that today? Don't get jaded. Don't get cynical about your life and the world. Don't give up. This is a God of infinite power. Power that can blow your mind if you will open yourself up to seeing what He has done and what he can do. What they see at the tomb is the last thing they expect. They think that stone is a problem. That stone's not the problem at all. And we're told this young man and is dressed in white robe. And often in the Bible, angels are described as human beings taking a human form. And he tells them immediately, do not be alarmed if you want to understand what has happened in this tomb, if you want to understand why it's empty, then you need to know, says the angel. And you need to be provoked by the fact that God's power is centered on one man. It's not a power that you can find in yourself. It's not a power you can find in the world. It's not a power you can find in any other worldview or philosophy. It is centered on one man. And how is he described? You were looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. First, he's described as the Nazarene. This is 
The same Jesus. You're looking for the right man. You're looking for Jesus. The same Jesus that you heard, that you saw perform miracles. This Jesus that you know is from Nazareth. Yes, that Jesus. That Jesus who lived a perfect life, who perfectly fulfilled God's law, who lived a righteous life. That same Jesus. He was crucified. He was crucified. And who was crucified is really just one word in Greek. And in Greek, there's a way to say something happened in the past, and it still has ongoing relevance now. And that's how the angel describes Jesus. He was crucified, and he will always be the crucified one. He will always be the one who can make atonement for your sins against a holy God. This Jesus of Nazareth, who didn't deserve to die, willingly gave himself up, as he says in Mark 10, 45, as a ransom, as a ransom to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins against a holy God. For all the things that you have said, all the things you have thought that you know are displeasing to God, no matter how small, no matter how much no one else knows them or sees them, those sins sent Jesus to the cross. And, and that is why he will always be the crucified one. He is always the one who is available to offer you pardon for your sins and forgiveness for your sins. Because he is also the risen one. He is the one who has conquered death itself. What we dread, what we put off, what we don't want to think about, what we don't want to talk about, death. What we want to prolong and put off as long as possible. Jesus has conquered it. And because Jesus has done that, there is no other hope in this world apart from him. Consider what the risen Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, says the Apostle John, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This world, this life, is not all there is. There is an eternity that awaits every single one of us. Some voices in this world will tell you, no, 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 you don't have to worry about that. Make the most, seize the day of, of this, this life. That's all you have. Some will tell you, oh, no, no, that's just pie in the sky. Don't, don't be deluded by that. And to think that there's an eternity that waits for you. Oh, there is, says Jesus. And your eternal destiny and mine will be determined by him. And what you say about him. Is he someone you're merely interested in? You want to hear a little more? Is he merely a character on a stained glass window? Is he merely someone you know your parents talked a lot about, but you don't really know if you know him or not? Is he someone you think you ought to respect and you ought to love and you ought to listen to? Or do you, you really believe that you must 
answer to Him as Lord. I can't answer for you. Your parents can't answer for you. Your church can't answer for you. What do you say about Jesus? Is He the living one or not? Are you provoked enough by these words, by the proclamation of the angel, to say, I've got to come face to face with Jesus and I've got to deal honestly with Him. I can't just ignore Him. I can't just put this off. I can't just wait for more evidence to come in before I make up my mind. I've got to decide here and now. Who is He? And if you want to know the power of God, then you need to know His power centers on one man. And it is exclusive. The resurrection, the Easter story, is no metaphor It's no spiritual reality. We're talking about real flesh and blood. We're talking about a real grave. We're talking about a real life that was dead and that has been raised. And that is such good news for you and for me because this is a God who deals with real people, real flesh and blood. Unless we be tempted to think that these are just spiritual truths, kind of nice to think about, no, this is the grave. This is your life. And when life is at its darkest for you, when it is at its starkest, and you don't know what is going on, and you don't see how God could possibly be here, remember this is a God who raised Jesus. This is a God who brings about real resurrection. And he can bring about real transformation and real resurrection for you and for me. Do you know him? Do you believe him? Because it's exclusive. It's exclusive. We want to say, well, I like Jesus. And we want Jesus to be our mascot. We want to be on his team. And we want to have Jesus and we want to have our life and what we want and our comfort. And Jesus says, the one who follows me must take up their cross and follow it is exclusive it is a hard word yes it is a provocative word but it's your turn we see how the women reacted they heard it and they run away but of course we know that they eventually told someone or else you wouldn't be here today and I wouldn't be here today And Mark knows that, and Mark's audience knows that. Eventually, they spoke. But when they spoke, they couldn't get any credit for it. All the glory went to the risen Jesus, not them. See how this is. Notice in verse 7, the angel says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, or even Peter, especially Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him. God's power tears down human pride. Peter doesn't get any glory. The women don't get any glory here. All the glory goes to God. How so? Well, when was the last time we heard about Peter? What was he doing? He was denying Jesus three times. Not once, not twice, three times. He said, I don't even know that man. That's Peter. 
This is the Peter that said, oh, Jesus, if everybody else falls away, I won't. I'll be there. I got your back. No, he didn't. And so the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Number one, because Peter is the chief apostle, but also because he wants Peter to know that even Peter, even Peter, who denied him three times, can be restored. Let me tell you today, if there is hope for Peter, there is hope for you and for me. This is a power that we can't put in a box, that we can't wrap our minds around. It is a power that tears down our pride so that we can't take any credit for this. Peter can't say, oh, well, I eventually came around. You know, yeah, I had that incident where I denied him, but I eventually came around. Yep, and I'm, I'm, the, I'm the chief apostle now, so listen to me. No, Peter couldn't take any credit. He is where he is. He experiences this restoration wholly and entirely on the basis of God and his grace. Do you know that grace? It tears down our pride. Oh, we think we're good. Oh, we think, compared to that person, I've lived such a better life. Oh, compared to that person, I've made such, such more wise decisions. Be careful. This is a deliberately provocative ending to tear down human pride. Peter gets no glory. The women get no glory. They can't say, oh, we heard it, so, and then we told it. No, that only happens because Jesus eventually confronts them. He gets the glory. And it is not until you are humbled by the Easter story, humbled by it, provoked by it, moved by it, that you're ready to receive that word. Tell even Dane, I'm on the move. Substitute your own name there. Consider all the ways you know you have let him down. Consider all the ways that you know you have fallen short of the glory of God. Consider the things that you think that you don't want anybody to know that you think. The things that you've done that you don't want anybody to know about. You got that? Hear the good news. If there's hope for Peter, there is hope for you. If you believe there's no hope inside of yourself, there's no hope in this world, the only hope you have is the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and returning. Do you know Him? Because if you're provoked to that point, you're ready for peace. But remember this. God uses provoked people. People who are stirred by this. People who can't get over this. People who spend the rest of their life wrestling with this. God uses provoked people to prove His power in the world. He uses people like you and like me. People who say, I wasn't looking for God. He found me. He broke into my life. Maybe it was a sermon. Maybe it was an encouraging word from someone. Maybe it was this God thing that you can't really explain, but you know in this moment, God was at work and present. You weren't looking for Him. 
You weren't trying to find some rational explanation for that. He broke in. He shattered your expectations. He tore down your pride and he pointed you to Jesus. Well, you, like Peter, like these women, as terrified, as bewildered, as disoriented as you may feel sometimes, and you will, you will. You are a vessel to display God's power in the world. Do you realize that? Don't gloss over Mark. Don't skip this. Don't jump around and say, well, I I like the ending in in Luke or Matthew or John better. Don't just hurry to your Easter dinner. Don't just bypass this. Don't just say, all right, he's risen, so all my problem's over. We can celebrate. No. Be provoked by it in your heart. Be stirred. Be moved. And if you are, then hear the good news. Peace is available to you. Peace with God Peace with yourself. Peace with your neighbor. Do you know that peace today? This is a peace that can sustain you and strengthen you in the darkest of days. Long after Easter Sunday is past and all the colorful flowers are gone, And all the pastels have been put away. And the Easter dinner is long gone. That, in that moment, in that darkness, in that starkness, that is the real test of whether or not you are an Easter person or not. Or whether you're merely an Easter day person. May God, by the power of His Holy Spirit working in you and in me right now, lead us to be Easter people who know this power, who are provoked by this power, and who know a peace that surpasses all understanding. And we're not going to look for salvation in anything in this world or in anybody in this world because it can't deliver and we know it because we've tried it. Is that you today? If you have never said, Jesus, this isn't just a good story. This isn't just happily ever after. Jesus, I want this to be my story. Let me tell you, this is your turn. You've heard the story. We've read it. We've talked about it. Now what are you going to do with it? It's your turn. Will you move on and forget about it? Or will you never, ever be the same? because of this power. I pray that you would never be the same. That you would know that peace. And that peace would sustain you long after today. As we give all the glory, all the credit to the Lord Jesus. And as we call upon Him as Lord and Savior. Let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Lord, forgive us for our shallow superficiality. Forgive us for when we just want a good pick-me-up. 
Forgive us for when we read the story of Easter. And then we just close the book and think, wasn't that nice? Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, tear down those pretensions. Shatter our illusions of spirituality and depth. Show us the ugliness of our sinfulness. Show us that this story needed to happen because of me. Because of us. Because of our failure. Help us to know that Jesus shed His blood. And He didn't have to. But He did it willingly. Not for good people, but for people like us. And Lord, I pray that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, we would receive the gift. And that the risen Jesus would reign in our hearts and in our minds so that whatever trials, whatever tribulations, whatever troubles come our way after today, that we would know Jesus is risen and there is no power on earth that can put Him back in the tomb. Lord, may He be our hope, our only hope today and into eternity. Lord, we thank You for the power of the story. We thank You that You speak to us through it. And we pray now that You would change us in light of it. All by the power of Your Word and the Holy Spirit. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, who lives and who reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.